<laughs> yeah, that's okay. HFF, family is the second F, so nothing wrong with the kids crawling around. There's something wrong if the kids aren't crawling around, that's for sure. So uh, we need to, uh, we have a lot of prayer, prayer requests this week. Carlos is going to go over that later on. A lot of people are sick, a lot of people with ailments right now. Um, it's, the, it's the time of year, the weather's changing, it's dry, all those types of things. And so we'll go over that a little bit more, but uh, I definitely want to recognize Ephraim. Ephraim's been down with uh, some sort of flu-like symptoms for multiple days. And uh, while he, he tried to get up this morning and make it, he said it just wasn't going to happen so we need to definitely keep Ephraim in your prayers. And then also please keep my wife who fell uh, about a week ago. And so she's still kind of hobbling around uh, right now. And so she's, she's not out and about yet. So uh, keep both of them in your prayers. Want to give you a couple of announcements since uh, we don't have bulletins this week. Um, the ladies gathering is next Sunday, not tomorrow, next Sunday at Holly DeFatis House. They are going to be getting together at 2 p.m. to make freezer meals for people in our community. Um, you know, we have people, a lot of people who just got done with surgeries who are still on the mend. We got people getting ready to have surgeries. We have people who are sick. We have all, all kinds of things going on. And so the ladies are going to come together, have a time of fellowship, and make freezer meals uh, to be able to put aside for uh, those in our community so that um, we can make sure and help take care of them uh, and help them get back on their feet uh, as quickly as possible. The 13th of January. January, uh, which is hard to believe that's going to be 2019 already. The men's prayer gathering is going to be uh, at Monte Judas House. And so um, more information, you can see Joe or Carlos uh, for that. They'll get you more information. Um, also want to let everybody know, I know um, that there's a lot of prayer warriors in our congregation, but every Saturday, this facility is open at 830. We're here, we're setting up, we're, we're doing the work, and at 10 a.m., there's a group of people who get together in their front room up there, and they pray. They pray for the people in our community. They pray for whatever the Lord has laid on their hearts. Sometimes they share scripture with one another, but it's a prayer ga gathering. 9.45, excuse me. Let's just make it 8.30. It's no, no bad time to pray, right? 9.45, they get together in that room. Uh, they pray for each other. They pray for the community. They pray for us. They pray for this building. They pray for the pastors. And um, it's, it's, it's very important because if you're, if you're not praying for one another, if you're not lifting up your pastors, this world will take you down pretty quickly. So um, if, you, if you would like to get up, if you get up, maybe the Lord just wakes you up on a Shabbat earlier than normal, and you're like, wonder why he woke me up early this Shabbat. Maybe it's because you're supposed to be here gathering with them and praying for one another. And so 945 in that front room, um, they would love to have any, any uh, prayer-minded people in there. Um, February 16th, Yosef Rami Danieli. Uh, he is a Messianic Jewish believer, uh, used to have a congregation down in the Texas area, and now lives in Israel, is going to be in uh, the United States visiting some of his family. There's actually some people from our congregation who used to attend his congregation in Texas back in the day. He's going to be here as a guest speaker all the way from, uh, from Israel, and so we're really blessed to have him. So that's uh, Shabbat, February 16th. He's going to be here from Israel, share a little bit about what's going on in the land, and uh, I'm super excited to have him him here as well. And then is it tomorrow you're doing Grace Living Center? Next next two weekends, right? All right, so the next two Sundays 
Um, Steve and Alicia will be at Grace Living Center on Sunday morning. Um, if you are, uh, if you want to come, play some games, do some worship, whatever, uh, it's a great time to hang out. And so, once again, you find yourself waking up on a Sunday morning saying, why am I up super early? It's probably because the Lord wants you to go hang out with some less fortunate people. So, uh, tomorrow, 10 a.m., 10.30. See, that's even easier. God gave you an extra 30 minutes. So, Nobody else looks excited about the extra 30 minutes. I was excited about the extra 30 minutes. I have five kids, though. 30 minutes is a lifetime. So, see? Waking you guys up a little bit. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into uh, some praise and worship. So stand up, say Shabbat Shalom to somebody. Welcome somebody here. And we're going to go ahead and enter into time of praise and worship with the Father.
How many of you are ready to go to the New Jerusalem? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of this world. <laughs> I'm ready to go. All right. Let me run over some prayer requests with you this morning. Uh, Chris mentioned a couple already this morning. We need to be praying for his wife, April, uh, who has had some issues with her hip and her neck. And uh, she fell the other day, and so she's uh, hurting even more. So we need to lift her up and pray for her. And pray for Ephraim. He's caught whatever it is that's going around with everybody. So we need to pray for him that he'll uh, be able to recover and that the rest of his family doesn't come down with it either. Monty had a checkup this past week, and the report came back very positive and that uh, he, his heart is fine, he has no issues, and now they're going to work on, on doing whatever they need to to get his blood pressure stabilized where it should be. So we praise God that, uh, that they found nothing wrong with his heart, but we, and we need to pray that they'll be able to regulate his blood pressure. And we prayed for Amy sometime back when she hurt her knee, and uh, talking to her, uh, you notice she's wearing a brace on her leg, her, her knee is pretty swollen still, and uh, she's going to start some therapy for about a month, and then they're going to reevaluate her and see whether or not she needs some surgery or, or whatever. Apparently, there's some issues with the ligaments, and those are more serious than other kinds of issues and take a longer time to heal, so we need to be praying for Amy during this time. But we do have a good praise report for Amy. She made the honor roll at school so that's awesome <clears throat> we need to remember to keep praying for patrice as she's recovering from her surgery on her knee and uh she's still in a wheelchair uh she had this a situation this past week where she got word that her son who's in colorado i believe uh had some kidney issues it was only there were the kidneys were only functioning like a 10 percent or something like that and but the lord intervened and uh he's been he's been discharged from the hospital and doing okay and so she didn't have to go up there after all to go see him which would have been real difficult for her in a wheelchair but anyway so uh, a praise report there uh for Patrice's son but we need to keep praying that whatever it was that was the issue doesn't come back and that he'll just stay fine and don't forget corey who's uh, having surgery also and we need to lift her up. We prayed for uh, Chris last week who had surgery for his cancer on Monday and uh, the surgery went well. The doctors believe they got it all out and he went home that same day I believe and he's doing fine so we need to praise God for how well that went with Chris. And then Danny had his knee evaluated and he is scheduled for surgery uh on the 9th of january so we need to be praying for danny and for that upcoming surgery on the 9th of january uh, i guess they're going to replace the entire knee so he's going to be the five hundred thousand dollar man i guess i don't know how much that costs whatever all right okay we're gonna end it and i got to see a video that Virginia showed us the other night of her sister Estelle. We've been praying for her as she's battling cancer. She's been through her first series of chemo 
and has a break for a week or so and then she'll start up again. But uh, she decided to go ahead and shave her head since uh, she was starting to lose a little more hair. So we got to see a video of Estelle's son shaving her head. And uh, he had quit at the point where she had a really nice looking mohawk, but uh, she made him take the rest of it off. So we need, to, but we need to keep praying for Estelle and we need to praise God for her attitude. She has a really positive attitude and outlook on this whole thing. So we just need to continue to lift her up and pray for her situation. All right, this morning we're gonna do things a little bit differently. I'm gonna ask Daniel and Chris to come up here. And uh, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna turn it over to them. And if you would like for personal prayer for that, you can come up here and they will pray for you personally. And while they're doing that, the rest of you sitting out here can go ahead and pray for the things that I've already mentioned or anything else that God puts on your heart. So if any of you would like to have some prayer this morning, uh, go ahead and come on up. Real quick, I want to share with you guys um, something that happened. Some of you are aware of this this week. Uh, how many of you know Megan and Ryan Helsher from the Feast of Tabernacles? Um, so a friend of Ryan's, uh, and uh, I know Jensen and some of the other firefighters, EMTs, and that can, can attest to this. When you work in a line of work like that, an RN, Steve and Leisha, you get to see, you get to see some pretty tough stuff. And this week, and I'll try to keep it as PG as possible for the little ones in the room, this week a, uh, a friend of Ryan's um, is divorced from his ex-wife has a five-year-old boy named Cord. His ex-wife had remarried, and uh, for whatever reason, um, on Thursday morning, uh, he got a phone call, and basically the new husband had decided in whatever was going on inside of him that he wanted to end his life and end the life of his wife, her mother, and the five-year-old little boy. And so... Uh, during this time, the five-year-old uh, five little boy, uh, from my understanding, was going towards the bus stop, and the stepfather wanted to make a point to his wife and uh, began to open fire at the boy. The boy was hit five times, four in the torso and once in the head. And then the stepfather took his wife's life, her, his mother-in-law's life, and his life. And... There was a lot of mystery surrounding this situation, but a little five-year-old boy took five gunshot wounds. Uh, didn't know anything about it. Didn't know what was going to happen to him. And when he woke up this morning, or that morning, he had no idea what was getting ready to happen to him. And so we sent out a prayer request both on the B'nai Shalom and on the HFF prayer group. And they petitioned our help to pray for the boy. The father was over two hours away from the town and so basically when he found out about this he could get no updates other than your son is in emergency surgery and we're not sure if he's going to make it and so oftentimes in a lot of these situations there's there's a lot of emotion that goes with that especially if you're a mother you have your own children a father you have your own children but um i want to give a praise report uh because a lot of times we hear the negative a lot of times we we see the negative we dwell on the negative and a lot of times we, we minimize the power of God. 
But this Thursday, we all came together for those who knew about it and started praying. And on Friday, he had made it through an, a bunch of surgeries and was in critical condition. Um, as of yesterday evening, going to the Sabbath, he was in stable condition. And there was no, um, there was no abnormalness to his brain. The neurosurgeon who came in felt like he might potentially make a, a full recovery from his wounds, um, which hands down is nothing more than a miracle of God. I mean, as, as an adult at six foot six, I mean, that's, you got to give the Lord credit. I mean, the Lord heard our prayers and stepped in on behalf of this little boy. His name is Cord, for those of you who weren't aware of it. And during this time of year, when we don't get as much sunshine, where the weather's a little bit darker and it's a little bit gray and overcast and we're all in our homes a little bit more, we're not out and about as much. Our vitamin D levels, Stephen and Alicia, are lower and we can become depressed very easily. We can become overwhelmed with negativity very easily. All you got to do is turn on the news. But this week, in the midst of something that was meant to be pure evil, the Lord has stepped in and shined a light through and said, I'm going to be working with this boy. And I am here and I am there. And he heard our prayers and he is continuing to hear our prayers. And this boy may make a full recovery. And, in, and while I do believe in doctors and I do believe in that, he didn't recover because of the doctors. He recovered because of God. And so today as we're here, each one of us are struggling with things. Uh, like, like Carlos said earlier, we have a lot of people sick. We have a lot of people going through surgeries. We have a lot of people battling things. And those are just the, the outward side of things. Some of us are fighting with, with things on the internal. Some of them are emotional or mental challenges. Some of them are spiritual challenges. But just like this week, something that was meant to be for evil, to the destruction of life, God stepped in and said, not today. Our popular not today Satan hashtag on Facebook. He said, not today. This life is mine. This child is mine. And I'm going to do a miracle in his life. At the same point in time, we're all worried about what's going on with Monty's heart. Monty will turn 70 in July. A biblical sage in our community. And we're worried about what's going on with his heart. Is he even going to make it to 70? And this week he gets a report that says that there's nothing wrong with his heart. In fact, the doctor actually said, you want to trade hearts with me? This week, God has shown that there is hope in the midst of despair. There is hope in the midst of negativity. And somebody in this room right now might need hope. I can't give you hope. Daniel can't give you hope. April, Melissa, Ephraim, Lauren, we can't give you hope. The Lord can give you hope. We can speak to you what the Lord has said, but you have to receive it. You have to receive it into your heart and your mind to know that he is hope in whatever you're battling. So I'm going to put the microphone down and we're going to be here. And if anybody needs prayer, come on up. Anybody needs hope, come on up. If not, I ask that you would humbly just pray for those in need in your seat. You don't have to be up here for the Lord to hear you.
Passion for your 
Feeling who 
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forgive us for not stopping and making you a higher priority in our life. Forgive us for going to the memory bank before we hit our knees. Father, forgive us for not speaking your praises and telling others about the wonders that you do just as much as we speak about the negative in our life. Father, remove from us the things that are not of you. Heal us, Father. Father, bind up the brokenhearted those who have lost loved ones recently, Father, the Staley family, Father, heal them, give them peace. Father, those who are sick, we ask for restoration of health and protection for the rest of their family. Father, we ask humbly before you that you would continue the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh amongst your people. That you would heal marriages. That you would heal relationships. That you would make the fathers to be more like you, Father. Father, that we may be a better example on this earth of your grace, mercy, and compassion. Father, we thank you because we do not deserve your love. Your mercy and your grace abounds even when we fall short. Yet you saw fit to bring each and every one of us out of the lives we lived and closer to you. Father, as the days count down to the return of your son into the new kingdom in Jerusalem, Father, 
We ask that with each passing day, you will continue to point out things in our life and help us overcome them to become closer like you. That our community would become more like you. That the leadership would become more like you. For Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the honor and glory. In the name of Yeshua, amen and amen. All right, we got little ones in the house. That's where you guys can say yes and come forward. They're like, are we supposed to talk now? All right, smaller bunch, but still a good one. It's quality, not quantity, right? Okay. All right. Let's let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh oh, a couple more, a couple more. Abba Father, we thank you so much for this day. Father, um, thank you for the blessings and the joy that each one of these children, Father, is and they bring to our lives. Father, thank you for the things that you teach us through them, Father. You teach us to be enduring. You teach us to be loving. And, Father, um, we get to experience that peace and that joy, Father. We, we thank you so much that we get to experience this reflection of them, Father, our desires for them, Father. And we can look to you, Father, and realize that's how you love us, but even more so, Father. For, you know, we, we could still give our gifts good things, but, Father, how much more do you desire to give us good things, Father? So we thank you for this picture. And fill us, Father, with desires to be more like you. We thank you so much for each and every one of these children. Father, we ask you'd bless them today, that you'd show them favor, Father. You'd be filling them with the fruit of the Spirit, even now, Father. May their hearts, Father, be desirous of things of the kingdom, Father. Not for vanity, Father, not for things that are fleeing or fleeting, Father, but for things that are of you. Right now, Father, we desire that your outpouring, Father, will be great upon them, Father. That they would be vessels for the glory of your name, Father. That you bless them, keep them safe. Father, every child, Father, every child, even outside of this room, Father, Father, we thank you for just for, for children that, that uh, they, they have a heart for you, Father. And right now, we just we lift them up to you. The ones that are suffering, Father, like Cord, Father, we ask you just show them favor today. Thank you, Father, that your heart is for children. Your desire is for children, Father. You said that we, we need to become like children, Father, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to humble ourselves like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you that they understand it, Father. Help them not to lose that spirit of teachability, that spirit of dependence, Father. And as they, as they have dependence on their parents, Father, may they shift that dependence upon you, Father, not lose it and think that they're independent, Father, like we often so, we so often suffer from. We need you now. We need you now, Father. And so do these children. I ask you bless them now in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Okay. While the kids are stepping off, I'm going to grab my Bible. And a little stand here. Okay. All right. So it just so happened that I get to do the last portion in Genesis 
and let me pull out my cheat notes here. I still can't, I still can't pull it out of my head. I still have to have cheat notes. Sorry, guys. So this is, a, this is actually a really thick passage, and I'm sorry that it was me that gave it, not somebody like Chris or Ephraim or, or Daniel, because they can really extrapolate. I'll do the best that I can, though, in the meantime. So um, this passage is called Wehi, which I'm assuming translates to, and he lived, and it's Genesis 47, 28 to 50, 26. And, it's, uh, and he lived is an account of the end of Israel, the end of Jacob's life. So this passage starts, uh, there are four main parts of this passage. It starts with Jacob's expressing his desire to be brought back to the land of, of Canaan, the land of Israel, where he's going to be buried. And then the next portion, the next section of it is where um, he takes Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons. He says, as Reuben and Simeon are mine, these are mine. He takes them from Joseph. The next section of the passage is where he blesses, or I say blesses, he speaks over his 12 sons what's to take place for them in the end of days. And then the last passage is, is the, the, I guess the, the burial procession, the, the funeral procession of Israel as he's taken back to the land. And then there's a very, guys, there's one more little section where it's where um, the brothers are, are terrified of, of Joseph, thinking that he's going to have revenge upon them now that Jacob's dead or Israel's dead. Uh, thankfully, that doesn't take place. Um, Anyway, so there's one, here I go. Well, I guess that's the end of it. <laughs> um, my notes together here. Okay, so the, the main portion of, that I wanted to focus on, this, the, one, the one that I got the most ap- application out of, um, was the, the blessing over Ephraim and Manasseh. So I find that ironic, though, that, again, this is another portion in Scripture where the elder, elder serves the younger, or the, the younger takes precedence or gets the greater blessing over the elder. So this happened with Abraham and Ishmael. I'm sorry, Abraham with Ishmael and, and Isaac. And it happened with the next generation with Jacob and Esau. And it happened with the next generation where Joseph, who wasn't quite the youngest, but he was almost the youngest, and he became the greatest. I mean, he excelled exceedingly. Um, so anyway, so when this takes place, though, when when Israel, or Jacob, takes the takes the two kids and he's, he's going to bless them, um, Joseph, he takes them and he's assuming that, that Manasseh is going to get the, the greater blessing. And even, even though he was, you know, blessed as, as a youngest, he still kind of knew the principle of, you know what, the older son gets the blessing. So um, he understood that principle well, and that's what he was assuming that, that Israel was going to do. So that actually is not what ends up taking place. So I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. I won't make it too long, but I'll see if I can grab my Bible here without losing my notes. All right. Okay, and it says, And Israel stretched his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, consciously directing his hands. I'm assuming that means he probably crossed his hands, where he had his right hand crossed over on, on Ephraim's head, then he had his left hand crossed over on Manasseh's head. And he blessed Yosef, and he said, The Elohim whom my fathers Abraham and Yishak walked, the Elohim has fed me all my life to this day. The messenger has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the youths. And let my name be called upon them in the name of the fathers, Abraham and Yitzhak. And let them increase to multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it was evil in his eyes. And he took hold of his father's hand to move it over from Ephraim to the head of Manasseh. And Yosef said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also becomes a people, and he also is great. 
and yet his brother is greater than he. And his seed is to become the completeness of the nations. And he blessed them on that day, saying, In Israel, see, in you Israel shall bless, saying, Elohim make you as Ephraim and as Menasheh. And he put Ephraim before Menasheh. And Israel said to Yosef, See, I am dying, but Elohim shall be with you, and he bring you back to the land of your fathers. And I give you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. If we look back a little bit further, I won't read that passage too, but all the way back to Genesis chapter 41, and we review the account of Joseph as to why he named his two sons the way he did. He said he named Menashe because Elohim had made Yosef forget all the toil and all the trouble of his family. So, I mean, like we think about that, like, oh yeah, like I'm in this land, I'm going to forget all my problems. I'm this great guy now. I mean, like everybody depends upon me. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm powerful. I've forgotten all the troubles. So when we think about that principle, that's hardly applicable to what actually happens to the life in the nation of Israel. He didn't forget his family's trouble later on. And the nation of Israel, they, they were full of toil. They were full of trouble. They warred with each other. They were split as a nation. And even today, we experience the, the troubles that they experienced. We, we know their troubles. They didn't, he didn't forget. So although Menashe, we'd, we'd want that blessing upon them, that's not really what happens for that family. So if we look at the name of Ephraim, why he named him Ephraim, he said, the naming of Ephraim goes on, and so it actually comes from, um, oh wait, so here we go. I'm sorry. Um, he says, he has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. So if we think about that principle, so fruitful in the land of affliction, that's much more applicable to what happens to his immediate family, to the nation of Israel in the, in, in the land of Egypt, and then later on, you know, when, they, when they're exiled into, into uh, Syria and into Babylon, we see that God has a principle of being fruitful in the land of affliction, which is much more applicable. So if you look at, um, so doesn't that, sorry, going on, so it doesn't sound like our deadly lives too. So we, we would love to be able to forget our troubles. We'd love to be able to forget our problems, the problems of our family. Let's forget our relationships, you know. Let's just forget everything. Let's just move on. Lord, bless me. Lord, give me favor. I want to forget all my troubles. No, that's not really what God's called us to. We know that's, 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 I guess, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but that doesn't bring about the greater blessing. The greater blessing comes upon trust in the Lord, that he's going to make us fruitful in the land of affliction. Based on what we've heard today, we are afflicted people. We can't get away from the affliction. So there's not, I guess, we'd not say we have to like embrace it, but we know that it's part of our lives. So we can't try to escape affliction, but we know that the Lord can make us fruitful in the midst of it, and it's actually from that affliction that we become fruitful. You know, we know that what happened with the children of Israel, like later on when they when they're become slaves in Egypt, it was because of their affliction that they started having more babies. So, I mean, like, if it, whether it's babies, whether it's, you know, increasing the fruit of the kingdom, so be it. We live in this afflicted land, so may the Lord make us fruitful. May he make us to trust him. May he make us to, to come to him, and, and we know that, like, we want to become fruitful. So it's because of our affliction, because we acknowledge the fact that we are an afflicted people, because we bear his name, that we can, people can look at us and know that we are testimony to the world. So there's something greater than, than blessing and promising and forgetting our problems. That's, that's not reality. That's what the world wants. That's what the world pursues. But we need to acknowledge our affliction and choose the greater blessing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Father, um, 
with all the hard news that we hear, Father, help us to remember to do nothing more than to cry out to you. Father, something you've been showing me and something that I think you're revealing to a lot of people, Father, is that we really have no strength in ourselves. We literally are, are entirely dependent upon you, Father, and that's how you want us to be. You want us to be like children before you, Father, because we truly, like in the midst of our affliction, Father, we realize we, we need you. And just as a child, when they fall over and scrape their knee, they don't really try and do much of themselves. They always run to their parents and try and have them fix it, Father. And I, I think that's how you want us to be, Father. Help us not to be prideful. Help us not to be arrogant, Father. But, but again, bearing our burdens upon one, of, one another in the midst of our affliction, Father. And again, acknowledging that we need you so desperately. Father, make us to be that way. Father, make us to choose the blessing of, of wanting and choosing that you would make us fruitful in the land of, of our affliction, in the midst of our affliction. Father, we trust you. May our kingdom, may our desire, Father, be for you and not of our own. Help us not to choose to try and forget our problems, Father, but to trust you in the midst of them. We praise you now. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Shabbat shalom. So um, I prepared a 40-minute message, and I have about 18 to deliver it. So we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes here. So um, as uh, Stephen talked about this week's uh, readings, Vayachi, um, there is something that takes place here in this readings that uh, I would like to discuss, and it's about the generational blessings of Jacob's sons. Um, in order to understand this, however, we must uh, first take a look a little bit here at the Hebrew, uh, because it says at the very end of last week's parasha, the very last verse, okay, it says virtually the same thing in the English as it does in the very first verse of this week's parasha. So it's Genesis chapter 47. In verse 27, it says, Now Yisrael lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. And then the very next verse repeats, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of, length of Jacob's life was 147 years. So in verse 27, it says Israel lived. And then in verse 28, it says Jacob lived. And they both say the same thing basically in English, but it doesn't say the same thing in Hebrew. You see, in verse 27... It says, Vayeshev Yisrael. Whereas in verse 28, which is where we get the name of this portion, Vayechi Yaakov. Okay? And there's a difference. You see, Vayeshev is something different. Um, Yisrael dwelt, sat down, essentially. Yeshev, Vayeshev comes from Yashav, and this is a primitive root. Um, it means to sit down, to dwell, to remain, or to settle, versus... Vayechi, which comes from the word chaya, which we know from lachaim, right? Okay, to live, to revive, to be kept alive. The difference here is in verse 27, it says that Yisrael dwelt in the land versus Yaakov, who actually lived in the land. Why is this important? Well, the sages relish pointing out that whenever we see Yaakov referred to in the Torah, as Yisrael, rather than as Yaakov, remember that name came from his wrestling match, okay, that it's speaking about his spiritual attributes, whereas whenever we see him referred to by his birth name Yaakov, that it's referring to his fleshly side, 
Okay, so the sages talk about this over and over throughout their commentaries, and whether you agree with that interpretation of Scripture or not, they do have a very convincing argument if you apply that interpretation to this portion of Scripture. If we understand the difference between to yeshav, to dwell, and to chaya, to reside, versus to live, this is significant, and we can learn quite a bit from this passage. Now, if we apply this, um, this means of interpretation, it suggests that Yisrael, the spiritual side, merely resided in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. In other words, his spiritual side dwelled there, but never fully established roots. Although Yaakov probably lived the most comfortable days of his life in Mitzrayim, his heart still longed for the promised land. He knew this wasn't his home. This is evidence in verses 29 and 30 where he makes Yosef promise to bury him in Canaan and not in Egypt. It says there, verses 29 and 30, When the time for Israel drew near, he called his son Yosef and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And Yosef said, I will do as you have said. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there's this unique phrase that's used there. Place your hand under my thigh. Is that what he's talking about? No. Where have we seen this before? Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Now, Avraham was old, advanced in age, and Adonai had blessed Avraham in every way. Avraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by Adonai, the Elohim of heaven and the Elohim of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. This place your hand under my thigh is a euphemism for literally saying, may my descendants, those that spring forth from this place under my thigh, uh, may they make sure that you keep this word to me, or may they have vengeance upon you if you don't, okay? So it's the swearing of this oath. Now we see that uh, this reveals to us that there were two things that Israel made sure that he did before he died. Number one, he looked forward to the promised land, and he made sure that Yosef promised to bury him there and not in Egypt, because that's where his home was. Number two, he then goes directly into this blessing over his children. It says in, in 48 verse 5, Now your two sons, speaking to Yosef, who were born to you in the land of Mitzrayim before I came to you in Mitzrayim, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuven and Shimon are. In other words, and if you read on there in verse 6, he says, all the children you bear after them will be yours. But these two here are my sons. He adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as his sons. And then, through the rest of the chapter, the focus is upon blessing those two sons. But what happens here, if you read carefully, it says throughout chapter 48 about Ephraim and Manasseh, that it's Yisrael who blesses them. And then in chapter 49, Yaakov calls for his other sons and blesses them. What does that say to us? Now, for us here, of course, we live in a a day and time where blessing our children is kind of a lost art form. 
Uh, aside from saying the traditional blessings over our children at Rev Shabbat, do we really ever bless our children? If there's anything those of us who are parents might want to consider as you reflect on this parasha this week, is that you might want to really consider blessing your children. Let your sons and your daughters know how much you truly care for them. How much potential you see in them. How much you see them doing in their future. We know that there's power of life and death in the tongue. Perhaps your words of blessing are exactly what your child needs to hear in order to clear the next hurdle in their lives that they will soon face. It's also quite possible that through seeking the Father's advice on how to bless your children, that he might just impart upon you through his still small voice a vision of what your children might be doing in the future, just like he gave to Yaakov as he spoke over his children. And what he spoke over them wasn't about who they are, but what they would become. Like Yaakov, you might then have the opportunity to place a blessing for hope and a future upon your descendants. Proverbs 12.18 tells us, There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sadly, it's most often with family, in particular, that we don't speak blessing, but that instead we spew nastiness at each other. How sad is that? That it's with family, those who we claim we love the most, that we spew the most venom. Israel's focus was making sure that the next generation was blessed. Our family should be following the same pattern. Now, I bring all this up because recently there's been discussions within our family, Hebraic Family Fellowship, about the differences in the way that different generations see things. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. In America, we've pretty much lost this pattern that we see in Scripture of blessing the next generation. Now, we're going to be real here for a few minutes, okay? Here's the reality. The baby boomers are primarily responsible for this. You see, it's the baby boomer generation that taught us question authority. It's the baby boomers that taught us that we should not listen to anyone over 30. Those are the messages that we were given. Baby boomers didn't raise their kids with the same principles they had been raised with. Why? Because they were outdated concepts. So when Gen Xers like myself raise our kids, we didn't have those principles to fall back upon. Example, I love my parents. I love my mother. I love my father. But they never taught me, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. They never taught me these things. This was just not part of that generational passing down of things. I have had to overcome that habit in my life. And I have stressed in my household that we say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. Why? Because it's a sign of respect. Okay? And so I have had to try and teach that in my household. And it's difficult for me because I wasn't raised that way to learn those things and to incorporate those into my life. And I've tried to do so. Well, here's the deal. The millennials, everyone loves to disparage. 
They were the result of the revolution in the 60s and 70s. The fruit of drugs, sex, and rock and roll is evident in our society and has been passed down. Now, Ben Shapiro, who is one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the most brilliant minds in America, he had an op-ed in Newsweek just this week in which he talked about the classes, the online classes that millennials are now taking on how to adult, okay? And uh, these classes are teaching them how to do things like sew and cook and things of this nature. And the whole point of the, the article is that it's because these millennials haven't been taught these things because they've been coddled. They've been, you know, left in their parents' houses and, the, and their parents are doing it for them. And they haven't learned these things. And this is why they have such a difficult time when they get out into the real, real world. The problem is, this started generations ago. And has gotten to this point now. In fact, if we take a look at the history of Japan, here's what's happened. In Japanese culture, honoring the elder was a huge factor. In fact, you go to any home in Japan prior to the 70s, and you will find multiple generations, up to five generations, living in the same house. And the oldest were always honored. Now, you go to Japan today, and you find the same thing you'll find here. Senior citizen centers and nursing homes and things of that nature. Why? Because we have taken our Western culture over to Japan, and they've adopted it as their own. And now you don't find that same honoring of the elders in their community as you did just a few generations ago. We're all responsible for fostering the right family relationships. Just like Yisrael in this week's parasha, it's incumbent upon the older generation to bless the younger generation. Now, is it the younger generation's responsibility to honor the older generation? Absolutely. Scripture makes this clear. In fact, Paul says in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters, in all purity. So there we have conduct that we are told to, as you approach someone who is your elder, that you are to speak to them with respect. Now, lest we think that Paul's only talking to the younger generation, just before that, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, to the younger generation, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example to those who believe. Now, I've experienced this online. So I've had many discussions online in which I've had uh, disagreements with people with whom I am literally the same age as their father. And they have spoken to me very disrespectfully. So I, I understand this. Now, a lot of times, the things that's going on in those conversations is, look, we live in a day and age when young people have more access to information than they've ever had. We can no longer take the drill sergeant approach to them and say, you don't know you're from the, a hole in the ground. And just tell them that because they're young, they're dumb. Now, there's a certain reality to this. Younger people don't have the wisdom that comes with experience. But at the same time, that doesn't mean they're just dumb. It's easy to make fun of millennials. But we have to understand, we're responsible. 
We are responsible for that situation. But right now, access is to information, it's not like it was 50 years ago. You couldn't just make some statement today like you could 50 years ago, and then for someone to disprove you 50 years ago, they had to go to the library and look it up in encyclopedias and try and disprove you that way. Today, everyone's got an encyclopedia in their hands. And so the thing is, when we make false statements, don't not expect a young person to try and correct you. It's just going to be the case. Unsubstantiated, unverifiable, or otherwise easily disproved information, when we say it, expect to be corrected. And it's it really doesn't matter what the age of the person is that's saying it. It's not disrespect from them if they're simply presenting the truth and we've got it wrong. We should all have the mentality that we're open to being corrected, no matter what our age is. Generally speaking, with age comes wisdom. But just because one grows older, this isn't a guarantee that everything they have to say is wise, prudent, or even sensical. If I can get the slide to move because it's not because I have an example of exactly what I mean who up there wants to help me go to the thank you here's an example of someone who doesn't exactly say the wisest smartest or most prudent things even though he's well-aged now I could have selected other pictures I could have selected Maxine Waters or Nancy Pelosi but I I'm being, uh, probably going to be accused of being an ageist. I didn't want to be accused of also being a sexist or a racist. So I didn't choose those pictures. I chose this picture, okay? <laughs> now, lest you think I'm making the mistake of picking on the older generation here, the younger generation often also says some pretty stupid things. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Okay? Now, obviously, just because you're young and youthful and you have access to information, 